What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the True Crime Society podcast with Stephanie and Olivia. As you guys know, probably already, because the title of this episode is going to be about Delphi and the murders of Abby and Libby. Um, it's been back in the news lately after being basically a cold case for a few years. So we always thought we would do this episode eventually, but we figured now would be a good time to at least go through kind of like the basics of it and so that people can understand the newer stuff coming out a little bit better. Because even for us, we had to refresh on some things for all of it to make sense just because it's been so long. And Olivia and I were very immersed in this case. Like we <laughs> knew and know just so much about this case. That's like ridiculous. Well, it hasn't only been five whole years since it happened. So yeah, it's time has kind of faded a few things for us but it's been good to get a refresher and go back through everything because yeah this yeah. is I, I think that this is probably the case that we all, like all the people at true crime society or the admins probably know the most about generally yeah it so, sounds kind of shitty to say but this is basically our our origin story yeah how it all started yeah so i mean i guess we could talk about that a little if you want to talk about starting the group since that was really all you so it was kind of weird I feel like things change over time and this probably wouldn't happen today maybe like so what happened anyway before I get ahead of myself is that we heard about this case we heard that these girls were missing and there seemed to be a lot of media attention like an extra amount compared to what happens today and you know even back then what was happening and there was especially so for many- you being in Australia yeah so there were so many people who seemed to be interested. So we just thought, well, let's make a group. And I'm pretty sure we made the group before they were found, even if I'm right. Like it was, anyway, it was in the first few days when they were missing and then they were found, you know, very quickly anyway. But we made the group. So it was basically a real time um, kind of rundown. Like everything was happening in real time. It wasn't a retrospective group where we discussed a case that had happened, you know, months or years before. It was all happening in real time. So I guess that's the main, you know, way that we found a lot of our true crime society friends from the Libby and Abby group. Yeah, um, I feel like you made it really quick, but since they only found, I mean, they found like the bodies the next day, but maybe because remember it took a bit to actually say it was them. Yeah, like another. But you definitely made it within like the next like 48 hours of them going missing yeah it was it was i can't remember if exactly if it was before they were found but it was very very soon after they were found anyway if not um but yeah i wasn't an admin of the group or anything i didn't know any of them at all i actually <laughs> had just like started following the story and i was reading about it and i was reading about it on web sleuths this is before i got banned from web sleuths so fuck them <laughs> <laughs> not that i ever really participated much in there but why did you I get would read it I got banned. Why did I get banned? They still haven't banned me, but I haven't been on there for years. <laughs> I got banned, I think, just because I was talking about like rumors. I'll have to think about it more, and we'll, we'll talk. When I remember, I'll come back to this podcast and tell everyone. <laughs> but it was some, it was some sort of fucking bullshit. Yeah, it was some. They bu- they basically bullied me. I mean, it had mm. to do with that case that I called someone like a mean bean. I think, and uh, I got that was, also um, on Facebook. Papa. Yeah, I think it had to do with that. <laughs> it was saying with that um i think people were talking shit about us and i tried to like defend us and they just banned me <laughs> something like that <laughs> and then after they banned me they all talk shit about me more mm. um anyways so yeah fuck web sleuths for um banning me um 
when I was reading on there. I then found the Facebook group. Oh, no, someone on there had like mentioned the Facebook group, which is shocking because I don't think you're allowed to do that. They probably got banned, too. <laughs> and that's how I found the group. And I joined and I started reading stuff on there. And then I think I started talking. I started talking to a few of the admins. I'd comment and... You know, I was just like the star, basically, the star member. <laughs> Number one student. <laughs> yeah, I was I was a great student. And eventually I weaseled my way in and the group ended up getting super out of control. Like thinking back on it, I'm like, how did we deal with half of that stuff? We were getting like hundreds, sometimes thousands of join requests per hour. Like it was flawed. It was a lot. Because it was also, since it was so soon, and this was before like true crime Facebook groups are really a big, big thing like they yeah. are now. So in just so many local people had joined, even the family was in the group, like girl, like people who knew the girls and all the locals at times would talk about it too. And then obviously people who weren't local would be talking about it. There's always arguments. It, it was a mess. But because of all that, there is actually a lot of interesting information from early on which if you want to scroll back, if you go back to 2017, if you the group's called Liberty German and Abigail Williams Case Discussion, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so if you want to join and go through it, there's a lot of good stuff in there. But anyway, so that's how Olivia and I met. I remember I, remember I was always scared of Olivia because she was like <laughs> the head bitch in charge. <laughs> I'm so scary. <laughs> but you were just like, uh, to me, it was like, wow, she's so cool. <laughs> And now you know the truth. <laughs> yeah, that you're so oh. cool. But um, from there and after that, group picked up so much. Um, once Delphi kind of died down a bit, we wanted to post about other missing people. So that was how True Crime Society really got started from there. Yeah. And the rest is history. <laughs> yeah, so we figured since it is back in the news, it'd be a great time to kind of go over at least the main kind of timeline and events that happened that way because we've gotten a lot of messages of people being confused as to how this well i guess i should backtrack start over recently um isp put out a video saying that they were looking for information regarding a certain username called anthony shots in connection to delphi so this it's been like what three years at least of basically nothing yeah, I think the most, like the last anything that basically happened was 2019. So yeah, nearly, yeah, three years-ish, two to three years. So it hasn't... And that was just been... re-releasing the same thing. They just, that was like the little video, right? Yeah. And there's been a few kind of articles here and there, but nothing really about the case, just of things that have happened um, as a result of, which we'll get into as well. But, you know, there's basically been no case updates for years. Yeah. So this like new little, not little, actually, it's pretty big, this new update came out of nowhere basically to a lot of us but either like we've been getting a lot of messages now people confused the people either who are kind of new to the case or did follow the case but forgot or just don't get the connection because they really didn't give us the connection but you know after internet sleuths start sleuthing around we think we've could explain what's probably going on so the plan with this episode is we're going to go through the timeline. We're going to go through the main, like, basic story. This case is another one of those, like we were saying with Summer Wells. It can be its own, like, three-hour documentary yeah. series. 
there's so much information. There was so much going on at the time. So many rumors. So many people accused. Like, absolute chaos. We're going to try to filter out all the distractions and just stick with what's kind of relevant to what's going on now. Yeah. Because a lot of the rumors and people who are blamed for it obviously don't matter in the end to the main story so far for the most part. Because I think that's also another reason why people find this case so hard to get into, just because there's so many rumors and people are always just using initials because you're just like accusing random people. But we're going to make it as easy as possible. If you did want to um, listen to a super in-depth podcast on it, um, I think it's called Down the Hill, The Delphi Murders. It's by Warner Media. It's through HLN. They did like a 10-episode series on it. They're all like an hour, over an hour long. So it's very in-depth, but they interviewed a lot of the girls' family members, their friends, the police officers involved, firefighters, people who searched that day. And it is really interesting, but it's a lot of information. So if you do want to go down that rabbit hole, definitely check out that podcast. It's very interesting, very well done, a lot of good interviews. So again, that's Down the Hill Delphi Murders podcast. directly to the killer who may be in this room. We believe you are hiding in plain sight. For more than two years, you never thought we would shift gears to a different investigative strategy, but we have. We likely have interviewed you or someone close to you. We know that this is about power to you and you want to know what we know and one day you will. A question to you. What will those closest to you think of? They find out that you brutally murdered two little girls. Two children. Only a coward would do such a thing. We are confident that you have told someone what you have done. Or at the very least, they know because of how different you are since the murders. We try so hard to understand how a person could do something like this to two, to two children. I recently watched a movie called The Shack. And there's also a book that talks so well about evil, about death, and about eternity to the murderer. I believe you have just a little bit of a conscience left. I can assure you that how you left them in that woods is not, is not what they're experiencing today. We're going to start with a little bit of background info. As we all know, probably. This takes place in Delphi, Indiana, which is a very small town. The population is around 3,000 people. I don't know the population where I live, but everyone always says how small Delphi is. Everyone knows each other. If you don't know them, you know of them. Very small community vibe. I feel like that's caused a lot of issues too in this case because everyone, you know, accuses Joe at the supermarket or, you know, like everyone... Yeah. 
yeah. So it's, yeah, the small town made it a bit more messier, I think. Yeah, because everyone, like, started turning on each other out yeah. of, like, feet. Like, it's this guy. This guy has a blue jacket. This guy's kind of weird. Like, everyone's pointing fingers at each other. Everyone's getting upset. Like, people are fighting, turning in your friends. It definitely must have been a hectic time to live there, sadly. And a hectic time for the police to have to wade through all that as well. Ugh. <laughs> um, Libby and Abby, they're two best friends. They had a day off from school that day because they had an extra snow day. So they decided that they were going to go out and go to the bridge. I guess it was kind of like a local spot that people hung around at sometimes. The weather was like unusually warm that day. They only had to wear sweatshirts. It was like in the 50s, which is pretty warm for winter February in Indiana. Liberty, she was 14. Abby was still only 13 at the time. So the two had a sleepover the night before at Libby's house. Um, and just to note, Libby and her sister Kelsey, their legal guardians are Mike and Becky Patty, which are their grandparents. But their father, Derek German, also lives with them. But Becky and Mike are who take care of the girls. Abby, she has her mom, Anna Williams. I don't think her dad was ever really in the picture. He's not ever mentioned in regard to this anyways. And then Libby's mom, Carrie, she lives in a different state. The girls wanted to go to the bridge. They asked permission from Becky, and she said as long as they could get a ride there and back that she was fine with them going. So the Monon High Bridge, it's kind of like, I was saying, a popular landmark for locals to walk on. It was built in 1891 and is a high, decrepit railroad bridge. It's 63 feet from the ground and is said to be Indiana's second highest bridge. Some articles have said that the bridge is a Delphi treasure. And I, there was talk of it being maybe torn down because of all this. But we just looked and I guess that they're actually kind of putting new life into it, refurbishing it, making it a nicer kind of local walkway that people can have. Because... When this all happened, the bridge was pretty dangerous. Like in videos that you see of it, there's big gaps in it, big holes. There's no railings on it. It's super high. Very scary looks, bridge. Yeah, it looks very scary. I wouldn't want my kids out there by themselves. I know obviously they were teenagers, but it's, yeah, it doesn't, definitely doesn't look safe. No, they act I remember um, they're saying that Abby, like, wasn't allowed to cross the, I don't know if they weren't, both of them weren't allowed on, but definitely Abby wasn't allowed to cross the bridge or go on the bridge. And even her little friends were saying in interviews that they feel like that was like her first time going on the bridge because she gets scared. And also because her mom didn't want her going on it. Don't blame her. <laughs> we're going to start the timeline with them going to the bridge that day. So this is a timeline that I actually made in like 2018 because while we can give you this timeline now all put together, at the time there was so much information coming from different places. Police weren't talking about a lot of the information but the families would say stuff then you could get information from the scanner and like the police would say little things so eventually i got annoyed with trying to like piece it all together and i just sat one day and i took all the information from stuff the family said from the scanner from stuff articles said and made this sort of timeline to try to make everyone's lives easier so that's what we're going to go through now so at 1.45 p.m., Libby's sister Kelsey drops the girls off at Mon and Highbridge, and Libby's father, Derek German, was going to pick them up in an hour and a half to two hours after he was running some errands, and he would call Libby when he was going to, when he got there to pick them up. There wasn't really like a set time, just when he was done with his errands. Abby spent the night with us on the night of the 12th because the girls were out of school. 
we had a movie night and ate pizza. The next day, Toby asked if I would take them to High Bridge. The Monon Bridge is an abandoned railroad bridge. It's just a local historical point. When I dropped them off, it was just like any other time I dropped them off to go to the trails. I just said goodbye and told Libby I loved her and that I'd see her when I got home. So at 2.07, Libby posted a photo of Abby on Snapchat and a photo of the bridge. So this is kind of what made the case very headline-worthy, I guess. It's kind of why it made national news so quickly, is these. this is the last photo of Abby alive, and it happened probably minutes before they were approached by this person. So it's just very eerie to see. Shortly after that, I don't really know exactly what time, but right after that, the girls took a video of a man on the bridge. So we refer to him as Bridge Guy. Most people refer to him as Bridge Guy. Sometimes it'll be abbreviated to BG. And it was taken over Libby's shoulder with her front-facing camera. It's been said that, there's no confirmation on this, but it's been said that Libby did this on purpose because she was scared and, like, got a bad vibe. Weirded but, out, maybe. She, you know. Yeah. But in interviews I was listening to today, it seems like there's two separate things. It seems like they got him in the background of some videos they were taking of themselves, maybe. That's why it's so zoomed in and blurry. Because in an interview I listened to today with one of the um, investigators, they said Libby started recording the audio that gets the down the hill. She recorded that after he had approached them. So I'm wondering if they got that and then police kind of went back and looked at the pictures they were taking on the bridge and could see him in the background. It's never yeah. been really clarified, but either way, somehow, whether on purpose or by accident, she got these video clips Bridges. of him. So that was around 2, probably before 2.30 would be the guess. Um, 3.11, Derek calls Libby because he's ready to pick her up, but there's no answer. 3.13, he calls her again. Still no answer. So he gets there around 3.30, and they're still not answering. So he looks for the girls himself. He goes towards the bridge at first, but then decides to go the other way on the trail. Her dad called Libby at 3.11 to tell them he was getting close to the pickup point, And she didn't answer. He got there, and he called him again, and she did not answer. So he walked down towards the bridge looking for them. By 3.30, he called me and said, Libby's not answering. Could you guys try getting a hold of her? I called Mike at work and said, oh, we have a problem. And he said, I'll meet you there. So at 3.45, there is another woman on the bridge who's taking photos. At this time, one of the photos tagged as 3.45. She stated when asked that she hadn't seen the girls at all. Four o'clock now, Mike Patty, which is Libby's grandfather, but her guardian is contacted at work and they tell him that they can't find the girls. So by 5.20, um, they're reported missing to law enforcement. Before that, the family was like out there looking for them, calling for them, couldn't find them. So then they contacted law enforcement. So this is like a side note, but it's always been mentioned as it's relevant to maybe why the search for Libby and Abby wasn't... Immediate. Yeah, immediate. It wasn't... They didn't have like all the resources that they could have potentially because at 545, an Amber Alert is sent out for a missing girl in Gary, Indiana, that was believed to be in extreme danger. So that's what there's two different police departments involved with this, plus the FBI eventually. But there's the Carroll County 
sheriff's department. And that's very small. They only have two detectives. They don't have a lot of resources. They don't usually deal with crimes like this. Then there's Indiana State Police, which is like the bigger agency. So while they were trying to search for Libby and Abby, Indiana State Police was kind of more preoccupied with this imminent danger Amber Alert. The girl that was in the Amber Alert did end up being fine, thankfully. So there was a large search effort involving volunteers, multiple law enforcement agencies overnight, and they scour the area in an attempt to find Libby and Abby. Um, so 620 is when the sun set in Delphi, and even though it was pretty warm out that day, it did get significantly colder at night, obviously, like probably almost freezing. There's a man who lives in that area named Ron Logan, and he has a really large property. So around 6.30 p.m., they asked Ron Logan if they could search his property. It's a pretty dark area with a lot of rough terrain, so it made it difficult for volunteers to kind of search the area properly at night. Another thing with the resources that they mentioned was that they just didn't really have enough lighting, like actual lights to set up so that they could illuminate the area better. So I also took information from the scanner that was available at the time, 7.01 p.m., and over the scanner it says, Delphi Fire requested at station for briefing on two missing juveniles. So then again at 8.01, the scanner says, they call Camden Fire manpower at station for a detail. Then at 11.17 p.m., there was a repeat of the Amber Alert for the Gary, Indiana girl. And by 11.20 p.m., the scanner was requesting people to come back to the station because it was getting dark and dangerous, I guess, to search. So around midnight, Carroll County Sheriff Tobe Lesenby, he said in a news release that there's no reason to suspect foul play or to believe the girls are in imminent danger. The biggest concern is exposure to the elements. And they called off the search for the night. Well, official search. There's still people like out in the area searching around, but... The police called off the official search. That didn't age well at all. No, he kind of talked about that a little in an interview I listened today of like, that was the decision they made at the time just because they didn't really have reason to believe, obviously, that this had happened. And just they had a lack of resources where it was kind of dangerous for them to have all these people out there. But they said like, there's still locals, family and all of them were still out there looking too. But yeah, definitely um, not a great look overall. <laughs> I'm pretty sure in this case, too, didn't they say there was no threat to the public at yeah, some they, point? Yeah, <laughs> they do at some point. Yeah, so, and even, yeah, anyway, it's always um, the case. They always say this when the, the case is never solved. There's no threat to the public. No, I feel like no. they'll say that no matter what. Yeah, I don't know like, why. Because otherwise it's just mass hysteria. Or they're going to be like, yes, there is threat to the public. <laughs> like, well, Or just don't say anything. Like, it's just yeah. weird that they say, anyway, anyway. We, we've always just, spoken about how that's weird, so. Reporters need to stop asking that question because <laughs> <laughs> they're never going to say. So this brings us to the next day, Tuesday, February 14th. The temperature that day, the high was 49 degrees, the low was 32. So like I said, it's still pretty cold when it gets cold there. Too cold to be outside. Yeah. At 1.36 a.m., they put out a bolo for Libby and Abby, which is what goes out to police to be on the lookout for because... Again, another debate about Amber Alerts. They don't fit the criteria for an Amber Alert. So eventually that morning, the search resumes with teams of volunteers and police officers. They called in dogs from Chicago to try to help with the search, but they actually didn't arrive before the girls were found. There was a three-hour helicopter-based search that didn't result in finding the girls either because it was directed on the east side of the bridge, which is not where they were. Just some other things that were going on in the morning, 7.26 a.m., the Amber Alert for the Gary, 
Indiana girl is repeated. So it's 7.28 a.m. over the scanner. It said all Delphi fire units out with the search party requested to be en route to the station. So they're getting ready to start their day searching. The sun rose in Delphi at 7.41 that day. So finally, by 10.37, the search is officially in effect, which seems kind of late. But I guess people were out there searching still like i know i guess they have to coordinate it too like you know we've already searched this area you can do the like a yeah it's, it does seem late but i guess there was a lot to coordinate and make sure yeah, there's I know no double the families were saying and um like locals and stuff were out there by like 7 30 looking but yeah obviously police and fire they have to be a little bit more tactical about it i'm sure at 10.56 over the scanner, it said, Medic 3 ambulance request east side of Heartland staging in that area. Now, 11.03, it said, informing Medic 3 to be on standby in case something happens. So from 11.45 to 12, this is when things kind of start to go down, um, searchers found a black Nike that Kelsey knew belonged to Libby. And right, like, immediately after that, they found two bodies. The bodies were found about a half mile away from the bridge. We started searching again in the early morning. It was a whole array of folks. Friends, family, everybody. Sometime around noon, they found the girls. We heard them yell up the hill that they'd found them. One of my family members fell to the ground, and he was crying. I didn't know what to think. I kept asking him to let me go there. They wouldn't let me. The pastor came and found me. He said they found girls, and they didn't make it. So they didn't confirm that it was Libby and Abby at this time. It took them a bit to actually say that, but obviously everyone knew that it probably was. And apparently, like we've said, the police have been very tight-lipped about this. They haven't put out pretty much any information regarding the crime scene, the cause of death, like any weapons anything like that at all but it's been said that this scene was apparently so horrific and disturbing that many of the officers had to seek counseling and have had nightmares like for years after and you can hear them talk about in interviews how it was something that really scarred them and stayed with them for a long time in the hln podcast they said that it was something about the scene was different they always say kind of ambiguous things like that but they never say what but just kind of a weird thing to say like what are they talking about? Like, what's different? And over the years, too, there's been lots of rumors, I guess, because, you know, no one knows. So it's always like, I heard from so-and-so that, like, we've heard things like there was writing on the, like, wherever the crime scene was, there was writing or code or, you know, like, like weird things like that. We don't obviously know if it's true, but there's been a lot of rumors because of kind of the lack of information that's been confirmed by law enforcement. Yeah, we've heard things from, like, satanic stuff to... Yeah that one of the girls was like almost decapitated that like all their stuff was thrown in the river there's tons of rumors but there's really no confirmation to any of it 12 11 shortly after the bodies were found or like right when they were found um delphi fire command said to call a cell phone from dispatch so that likely meant when there's a big kind of operation like this they go off the scanner so nosy people can't listen to them and they do everything on a private channel so it seemed like they were going to a private channel at that point then 2 p.m law enforcement publicly announces the discovery of two bodies and that foul play is suspected but the identities are not confirmed at this time i'm riley i'm with the indiana state police i'm the public information officer from the lafayette post steve mullen delphi police department chief of police Topolize, I'm B. Carroll County Sheriff. 
basically we're going to make this it's going to be short and sweet we don't have that much at this point in time uh, basically what we've got uh, we have found uh, two bodies um, is that the sugar creek deer creek. deer creek sorry in deer creek uh, about a mile east of town um, we are investigating this as as a uh, crime scene uh, we suspect foul play uh, we have not made positive identification of the two bodies, so we're not going to be releasing any information on them at this point in time. Uh, we've got uh, the Indiana State Police is assisting the Carroll County Sheriff's Department and the uh, Delphi City Police Department in the investigation here. We also have the FBI Crime Scene Investigation Group here out of Indianapolis. And uh, one thing the family asked us to do is to thank all the communities around Delphi and the people here in Delphi for assisting in attempting to locate these uh, the two young children that were missing earlier. Uh, they just wanted to say thank you to those people and thank you. Uh, it, they were just wanted to, to express their, their gratitude toward the hard work that was done uh, in helping uh, search for these children. Um, 4 p.m., Delphi Community School Superintendent Gregory Bryles releases a statement saying that the bodies found in the afternoon are those of two missing Delphi Community Middle School students, despite no actual confirmation from police at that point. So 10.31 p.m. over the scanner, they asked for confirmation that units would secure the cemetery area. Um, dispatch confirmed and notified all units preparing to secure the scene for the evening. So kind of like behind or in front of, next to, I don't know, right where in the area where the girls are found, there's also a cemetery. When they were closing off the scene, that's kind of where all the law enforcement stuff parked because it was the closest spot to be able to park the cars to get their equipment down there. So whenever there's talk of a cemetery, it's just that that was kind of where they parked their cars and stuff like that. It was right nearby. They also set up barriers on the made roads around there to secure the scene. And that brings us to Wednesday, February 15th. Um, at this point, autopsies are conducted on both of the bodies around 8 a.m. At 10 a.m., Sergeant Sergeant Kim Riley with ISP says the autopsies are complete but declines to confirm the identities or discuss a suspect or person of interest. He advises parents to keep a close eye on their children and monitor their whereabouts. Um, from the scanner at 12.07, someone said, The road's closed. You would just go ahead and we'll be able to park in the field just past the cemetery. There's a gate. There are several troopers here just immediately past the cemetery, make a right in that field. And the other person said, can we get all of our gear back there as far as the dive truck and Lafayette trucks? And the other person said, affirmative, looks to be pretty solid. Some other trucks are back there. And another person said, pass gate running at back of cemetery. We came out yesterday. And the other person said they'll be there in a few minutes. Some of the stuff in the scanner is interesting because you see that they were getting a dive truck to go back there because where the girls were found was right near the creek that goes under the Monon High Bridge. And I guess it's kind of confirmed that some of the girls' stuff was in the creek. Um, I don't know if to say it's not a rumor because they do talk about it on the scanner, but I guess p the rumor is that people are saying that the killer threw like all their stuff kind of into the water to like destroy evidence. So this is another interesting thing on the scanner, kind of talking about evidence they were finding. At 2.43, someone said, just make sure you stand by that item. We'll try to figure out how we're going to collect it up right now. So just stand by. So that makes you wonder, like, 
what did they not know how to collect? Was it something in the water? They didn't know how to get it without contaminating it, maybe? 3 p.m. ISP, when I say ISP, that's Indiana State Police, and Carroll County hold a news conference confirming that the bodies found are Liberty and Abigail. They say the case is being investigated as a double homicide, but they still say that they don't believe there's any immediate danger to the community. There's your favorite line. Did a big sigh. Oh, God. But then that makes me wonder, I don't know, because I also do feel like they do always say it to not cause hysteria. But I'm like, did they think for some reason, like looking back on what we know now, that was potentially a catfish thing. Did they maybe know it was more of a targeted thing, even as early as then? I don't know. I guess that's a possibility. Who knows? But it seems very early on to be saying, like, how, like you know, even if it was a catfish thing, I don't want to go on too much of a tangent, but even if it was a catfish thing, how did they know he wasn't now in the process of catfishing other girls in the area? to to mm-hmm. do the same thing that like maybe he wanted to go on some sick killing spree which obviously didn't happen but how how were they to know by the second or third day that it wasn't yeah i feel Is like that, that's my point when they say things like that <laughs> i feel like in cop school they're just like always say there's no danger even if there is <laughs> just yeah <say. laughs> just not to cause panic yeah um yeah, yeah. And i've said i know we said it on every episode and i don't want to be a broken record but the cases, they always say it, are cases that are never solved or aren't solved for many, many years. Like Maggie Long, for example, is one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> She's, her case is still unsolved. It happens all the time. So it just always blows my mind that they say that with no... But, like, I really can't think of one besides like old serial killer ones where they're like, there is a danger, like stay inside. Yeah, yeah, like, uh, yeah. And re- like I know recently where, for instance, if there's, you know, a siege or a shooting or something, they tell people yeah, to stay like- inside. But not yeah, not in a case like this. They've never come out and said, no, everyone needs to be worried. I just feel like they should <laughs> everyone say <worry>. nothing. <laughs> I feel like they should say nothing if they are really, obviously they're still unsure in this case because five years later there hasn't been an arrest. So I feel like they, like in this, because I watched the press conference again, a reporter asked them specifically, like, is there a threat to the public? <laughs> so back to the scanner with the evidence collecting they were doing at 3.03, someone said, this goes along with what I was saying about them kind of pulling stuff out of the creek, it seems. They said, we have some underwear with an evidence bag, so just stand by there. They're on the way. They're coming through the water by that way. And someone said, else said, clear at least two people with evidence so far. And the other person said, so you found more? What's the second thing you found? Because I'm only seeing one evidence bag. The other person said, I have a cigarette butt in the water that's less than two or three days old. So it seems like it was a little confusing because they said they're coming through the water, by the way. I don't know if they're like putting them in bags and floating them down the river to each other. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. Yeah, so they clearly found underwear in the creek, which is scary, and a cigarette butt, which could have evidence on but it's been in the water so you never know and there's um, a lot of people in that area like you know there's even people straight after this all happened taking photos on the creek so you know obviously it could be relevant to the case but then there's also a big chance it may not be relevant yeah well one of the officers specifically said in whatever i was watching that obviously they had all these people searching for the girls the night before or like when they went missing all these people were out there searching for them like hundreds all over this area obviously they didn't know how big the crime scene was at the time or what was considered a crime scene but even that officer said that they found cigarette butts trash or people who were out searching would spit on the ground or they would um like urinate behind a tree or something so you have all these people out there leaving like their own tracks and leaving other things like their own cigarette butts that then have to be like collected and filtered through and then kind of filtered out of the investigation to figure out what actually would belong to the killer and not just someone who was there 
And I feel like too, like even though you can look back now and say this was kind of a sloppy search and a sloppy investigation, I feel like this would still happen now in a lot of areas where there are a very small law enforcement group. Like you would never, ever think if you don't have the resources, how else are you going to find these kids with, you know, unless you enlist volunteers who may not know kind of best practice and things like that in searching. So even if they did have more resources, I feel like it still would have happened similarly because most of the time they thought the girls were just lost or like they fell and got hurt or something. Obviously, again, like I always say, you never, the first thing you think of is not that there's a crime afoot or that there's a double murder or these girls are dead and this is a crime scene that you're walking all over. They just thought they got lost in the woods or something. So that's why they're like, yeah, get everyone out there, like call their names, walk around, look for them. And especially, too, in a place where this doesn't generally happen. Like, you know, if you're from a bigger city or something, you may be a little bit more wary about what the outcome will be. But, yeah, I do agree. They didn't think that the outcome was going to be what it was. Yeah. And I don't think it's really the police's fault, but it just kind of made their job so much more difficult, it seems. And it should also be noted that it sounds obvious to say, but I feel like people don't think about it a lot. It's like this was a very big crime scene. Like I was just saying how people were searching all over it. The crime scene in the end spanned, it was the entire bridge. And then from like the entrance, like parking lot of the bridge. And then also the other end of the bridge where the girls were probably taken off the trail off to where their bodies were found. And their bodies were still found like a mile and a half away from the end of the bridge. So you got the whole bridge a mile and a half of space between them and the bodies. You don't know exactly what route they took, so you have to kind of factor that in too. So it was a really large area also to cover. So 7 p.m. on the 15th, ISP releases a photo of a man reportedly walking on the trail around the same time as the girls. Police say they want to talk to the individual, but don't call him a suspect at this time. So this is the, um, it's actually a still from the video that I mentioned earlier that Libby took either on purpose or by accident of him over her shoulder approaching them. They ended up finding that on the cloud, I think, and then took stills from it. And that's the photo they released of the guy walking on the bridge that we probably have all seen by now. But that is also why the photos are so crappy. I remember so many times over the years with the group and stuff, how much this photo has been manipulated and altered and zoomed in on. And people are like, well, why can't police make it better? Like, this is the best they can do. Like, just assuming that they can somehow make this picture more clear after everything we see on TV. But I remember even one photographer in the group was like, it's just like a shitty zoomed in photo, especially from your front facing camera, which isn't as strong from a video. If the pixels aren't there, you can't just like make the pixels appear to have it be a more clear photo. Can't make it what it, yeah, what it isn't. Yeah, like it's just a crappy still from a video. But yeah, it's also clearly a police tactic that we've seen them say in a few cases now where they're just like, we just want to talk to the person like Russell and Carol. We just want to talk to the person who has this car because they might be a witness or, you know, there's other ones like that, too. Yeah. Even Summer, I think, that we just talked about. There was another like truck. They're like, we want to talk to the person who has this truck because they might have seen something. But really, they're usually a suspect and they're just trying (laughs) to trick them. Trying to make them feel comfortable. Yeah. So this brings us to Thursday, February 16th at 6 p.m. Please set up a tip line for anyone with information in the case to call. At that time, they had already over 250 tips called in. 6.45, uh, funeral arrangements for the girls were set. On Saturday, February 18th, 2017, a public visitation for the girls was held at Delphi Community High School. 
Yeah, good afternoon. Good evening, Jenny. There has been a steady stream of cars pulling in here to the parking lot at Delphi Community High School and a steady stream of people all afternoon waiting to get inside the school anxious to pay their respects to the families of Libby German and Abby Williams. Actually, people started lining up well in advance of the start of this event. We got here. We have some video from when we first arrived around three o'clock this afternoon and the visitation wasn't scheduled to start until 4. But even then, you could see the parking lot already full of cars, a line of people already formed outside. No doubt, hearts are very heavy here in Delphi, and uh, this is also a way for community members to support one another. Now, Nally Garcia-Nava lives here in Delphi. Delphi and has three children that attend the schools here. She's here to help. She spent the afternoon volunteering, tending to the needs of the family, and handing out food and water to those leaving the visitation. For her, this is personal. It was unbelievable. It is Delphi after all. It's family. That way I've always put it. It's everyone knows each other, so I could not believe what was happening. It was very shocking. We're all sort of hurting a little bit. If we could share that, maybe it might be easier. Olivia and I were just talking about this a little because I guess um, the visitation was open casket. So that also caused a lot of rumors as well because it was said that I think Libby was wearing a scarf and Abby was wearing kind of like one of those Victorian collared like high neck lace dresses. So after hearing the rumors about how horrific the crime scene was and all the other rumors that people are talking about online about things that could have happened to them because there was a rumor that one of the girls was like almost decapitated or something like that and that's kind of been a pretty i'd say that was always like a pretty prominent rumor that was probably like the one that people said the most and has stuck around there's to be a very consistent rumor like there's never been any rumor that they were shot or they were you know it's always been that it's something to do with their necks yeah again don't know if that's true so don't like take it as fact but that's like the main thing people were saying at the time so then obviously when the girls did open casket and Libby was wearing a scarf and Abby had the Victorian collar, people were just like, oh, it's to cover up like their injuries. But one thing I did want to say as insider knowledge, <laughs> I guess, <laughs> but I'll, there's so many things in this case I forgot. This just always stuck with me because it really did make me feel sad. I used to talk with um, one of Abby's cousins here and there about what was going on. I mean, she didn't really know anything like that. But she did say that when um, they had to pick out outfits for the girls to wear at the visitation and the funeral that Anna, Abby's mother, found the dress that she put her in, which was like white and like lacy and just made her think that she looked like an angel and she just loved it so much. And that she was so sad when that choice of clothing turned into just like this horrible rumor about how she was like stabbed in the neck and that they were trying to cover up these wounds when really Anna just really liked the dress and thought that it was the perfect choice for her to look angelic in. I mean the cousin told me like she couldn't see anything like that or any neck injuries or there's nothing like obvious jumping out at them and that Anna just liked that dress so um, she did also tell me that like they the family members weren't allowed to like they couldn't really like touch them or like look at the bodies too closely or anything so they really had the family really doesn't know a lot more at that time anyways than most of the public I still don't think they know much they like the police always didn't really tell them much either one um, other rumor that I guess is kind of could be related to them if the rumors about them being decapitated were true is that when they were found one of the girls 
was still alive, just barely. Um, I think I'm remembering that right. So that kind of would maybe support the fact that something could happen to them that caused a slower death as opposed to instant death, generally. Yeah. So Yeah, if they always said that, um, again, this is all rumors. It was the rumor that like Abby was found and maybe like lived longer. No yeah. one's ever said that was true or not. No one's ever confirmed that. Um, that she held on and another thing that was always kind of like a prominent rumor about it was that it seemed like Libby kind of got more of the brunt of it. Like she yeah. was more injured than Abby was in some capacity. I guess too that could also be why they've said it was extra horrific because imagine showing up and finding the girls and one of them has been alive for, you know, however many hours but injured it would be terrible. Yeah. I also always wonder, I'm just like honestly probably finding that scene without anything crazy is pretty horrific to begin with. But yeah. the way that they said things like it's different or like that they're so adamant about not releasing the cause of death or things like that makes me just wonder. Yeah. There's something unusual. Yeah. At this time, it still wasn't known to the public if they had the girls' phones. So Abby didn't have a phone phone. She wasn't allowed to have a phone, but she did have, you know, like a Wi-Fi connected iPod, but she didn't always have it with her. But Libby had a cell phone. And for a long time, police never told us if they had her phone or not, but they did end up finding her phone at the scene. I heard it was found in the river with yeah, I've heard that a bunch of the girls' belongings. But yeah, it was destroyed in some capacity, which is why they got a lot of the information in the end from like the cloud. Back to the timeline. So police revealed on Sunday, February 19th, 2017, that the man photographed walking along the trail around the same time as the girls that they had wanted to talk to actually is a suspect and that they're still looking for him. On Monday, February 20th, 2017, police announced that they were conducting a statewide manhunt for the man in the photos and to tell Hoosiers to continue to provide information via the hotline set up for tips in the case. As far as like statewide manhunt, I remember even when I was I was driving back from somewhere, but I was driving through Waterbury, Connecticut or Hartford, Connecticut. And I saw one of those big electric billboards that had the girls' photos on them and the suspect and like the FBI thing. And I thought it was so crazy, like all the way in Connecticut. I guess it's not that far from Indiana, but still crazy to say. A press conference was held on February 22nd, which was a Wednesday at 10 a.m. They revealed that Liberty recorded video of the suspect on her cell phone. ISP released an audio recording of the male voice saying down the hill, but cannot confirm that the voice belongs to the man in the photos. Because I think when the man approached them, Libby started recording again and hit her phone. So they can't see the guy saying it. So they can't, for legal reasons, I'm sure, be like, that's him saying it. But it probably is. But I think that Libby kind of hit her phone away. So that's why they're saying that it's not definitely him saying it because you can't see him literally saying the words. And this is that clip from that. Authorities announced that a $41,000 reward for information leading to an arrest is available. By Thursday, February 23rd, the ISP had received over 3,900 tips. 1,900 of the tips came in after the release of the Down the Hill audio. The reward was then $50,000 at that point, and at 4 p.m. on that day, ISP announced that the FBI has taken over the hotline for tips for this case. It's also it was always interesting that the FBI got involved, because I feel like, I me mean, because it was a statewide manhunt now. Yeah. That's what makes you wonder, what did they know that so quickly they were like, it's a statewide manhunt? Or that it needed the FBI involved so quickly. Like, even, even for a statewide manhunt, like, statewide manhunt, yeah. you would think, yeah, I don't know, maybe. Yeah, it's interesting. So I, I'm just like, 
I feel like they knew stuff pretty early on. Yeah. But not all the stuff. <laughs> Brings us to March 9th. Mike Patty, Libby's grandfather, he spoke to the media at a press conference. He thanked the community for the outpouring of support and says he believes tips will solve this case. some stuff so I wouldn't forget what we'd like to communicate. Our, my, my family put this together. So obviously my name is Mike Patty. This is my wife, Becky. Uh, we'd both like to thank you for showing up here today. A little over three weeks ago, February 13th, our girls went missing. On February 14th, they were found victims of a double homicide. This horrible crime has torn a hole in our families that will never heal. It's the small things that seem to hurt the most. It's just natural to holler for them to come to dinner or in the mornings to get up and get ready for school. Then expect them to come through the door after school. The silence when we don't hear their voice. Our girls were excited about the upcoming softball season. Just the day before all this happened, They had their equipment out playing catch, working on their batting in the backyard, going to the ball field with Anna to hone their skills for the upcoming season. But they'll never get to play a single inning again. There are too many ways to count how our lives will forever be impacted to share here today. I imagine most people listening that have raised or are raising children know how kids can be. A phrase that was jokingly attached to Libby and our family from asking her to pick up her shoes, her school backpack, her coat, her first reply would almost always be, I will, in a minute. We joke with her about this all the time. I believe if she were able to speak, she would ask people, please give her the one minute she always asked for. To really study the picture and listen to the audio clip, someone out there knows this person or persons. He's someone's neighbor, co-worker, family member, friend, husband, or acquaintance. If and when any new information is released by law enforcement, please take another minute from your day to review all the information and help us collect the pieces of this puzzle. Both of our families are requesting everyone to please help Abby and Libby. Look for someone who's recently changed their appearance, cut their hair, shaved, or started wearing different clothes. Have they changed in some strange manner that just seems a little odd? If you think it could be, but then say, no, he's not like that, go with your initial instinct. Let law enforcement run that information and make that determination. However small it may seem, it is extremely vital to capture every tip we can get. Please, we need your help. Sergeant John Perrine of ISP said the case is emotional for all of us It references in reference to investigators. He reveals that the reward has surpassed 224000 at that point and that police have received more than 11,000 tips. So all the reward money was donated like by local people, local businesses, because everyone in the community was so 
dedicated to trying to solve this case because it's always been said it's like a very tight-knit community, but also they're probably scared. Yeah. Um, and Friday, March 17, 2017, at 12 p.m., ISP, FBI, and Carroll County served a search warrant at the home and property of Ron Logan, where the bodies of Abby and Libby were found in February. In hindsight, Ron Logan probably doesn't have anything to do with this, but at the time, he was always kind of someone that people were side-eyeing, because he's kind of like, I guess he was just a crotchety old man, (laughs) also. Like, he was not very cooperative with them. He also has a lot of, like, DUI charges. He's not allowed to be gang, so he just, it makes sense looking back on us to probably why he didn't want police around his property so much, but he seemed a little bit uncooperative, and the girls were found on his property, even though it's a very big property and most of it's woods. Like, it's not like they are found in his yard. Yeah. Um. But they kind of went, he didn't let them search. They kind of went, like, a little hard on him. They got the search warrant so that they could search his property, and um, he ended up being arrested for unrelated charges. Investigators are not calling 77-year-old Ronald Logan a suspect in the girl's murder, but now there are some new questions surrounding a drive he made to the Carroll County Trash Transfer Station on the day the girls were murdered. Logan has been in jail since March 13th after police found out he'd violated his probation by driving to the dump on that February day and drinking at a restaurant in Americas. He was in court today to plead guilty to a felony charge of being a habitual traffic offender. So sucks for him. <laughs> Girls get murdered on your property and they, they find you. Ruins your life. Worst day of his life. So after that was 2017, March. So even though it was quite soon after the girls were murdered and went missing, the case went a little bit cold. There was still a lot of media attention, but there didn't seem to be actually much happening. We were sent tons and tons of side-by-side images of people who thought Bridge Guy was there guy at the gas station, their husband, their ex-husband. And it got to a point where there were so many comparisons of just random people that the Indiana State Police actually contacted us and asked us to not let them be posted anymore or to not kind of publicize these side-by-side images of people with who they, you know, what people were sending us. So it was interesting. Yeah, that was a fun time. <laughs> Poor Jeanette. Everyone a voicemail. Remember that when they left her a voicemail on her phone. I know. Oh, and, then, yeah. and then later I ended up talking to them about other stuff i don't mm. remember same with like the side by sides two years after april 19 2019 the isp released a short video recording in which the man with blue jeans and a jacket is seen walking over the rail bridge for a little over a second he seems to be walking kind of oddly like he looks like he's a bit awkward got a bit of an awkward walk but the police I think have it said looks like that he's trying to like keep his pants up or something you yeah know? it's just weird but the police have said that it may be because he's walking over the kind of widely spaced railway planks which i guess could explain it so i guess they didn't want people to only look for someone who may have something wrong with their legs or their kind of walk for whatever yeah. reason we are releasing additional portions of the audio recording from that day please keep in mind The person talking is one person and is the person on the bridge with the girls. This is not two different people speaking. Please listen to it very, very carefully. We are also releasing video recovered from Libby's phone. This video has never before been previously released. The video shows a suspect walking on the bridge. When you see the video, Watch the, watch the person's mannerisms as they walk. Watch the mannerisms as he walks. Do you recognize the mannerisms 
as being someone that you might know. Remember, he is walking on the former railroad bridge. Because of the deteriorated condition of the bridge, the suspect is not walking naturally due to the spacing between the ties. They did also release an updated sketch of the suspect at that time. There was an extended version of the audio recording too, which you can hear a slight rise in his voice as he utters the word guys before he says down the hill. So, you know, guys down the hill. Guys. Down the hill. Guys. Down the hill. Guys. Down the hill. It was further explained that the previously released sketch, which was kind of an older man with a goatee and cap, is now considered secondary. And by contrast, the new sketch showed a clean-shaven man and that this was, should be kind of the sketch that people are looking out for, I guess. The ISP said at the time that the new sketch is representative of the face of the person captured in the video on Liberty German's cell phone as he was walking on the high bridge. During the course of this investigation, we have concluded the first sketch released will become secondary as of today. The result of the new information and intelligence over time leads us to believe the sketch, which you will see shortly, is the person responsible for the murders of these two little girls. We also believe this person is from Delphi, currently or has previously lived here, visits Delphi on a regular basis, or works here. We believe this person is currently between the age range of 18 and 40, but might appear younger than his true age. The Indianapolis Star reported that the sketch artist in the case made the new sketch just a few days after the girls' bodies were found in February 2017, but we're not quite sure why they didn't release it. But they've yeah. said that, you know, they've said that the, at, by 2019, the inv investigation had matured and past information had been reassessed. And they decided then that basically the new sketch was more representative of the suspect. So it's unusual. So it's still yeah, there's still, like, no clear answer as to what happened there, but people always forget because the sketch is still posted all the time that the older, the first sketch of the older-looking person is, I guess, supposed to be disregarded at this point. But you people still post it all the time. That's why they very weird. even release both sketches. So what would they have to lose if, I guess, it's just it would double the amount of, I guess, tips maybe they would get if they they are two separate people. But it's weird that they had it for two years and didn't, like, they must have got that youthful sketch from somewhere. So it's interesting. Well, I think I saw that the sketch of the youthful person was made by the people. Because there was several people who saw him on the bridge that day, that guy. And that was made, like, by those people in collaboration with the sketch artists. And maybe if they had better video or something. But then yeah. it's like, I don't know where the other one came from at all then. I guess, I think the first, yeah, I don't know. It's weird. But I don't know, again, right? that's that's not just us like not doing research on it. It's still something that everyone's kind of confused about. Yeah, it hasn't ever been cleared up really. Yeah, and they always give like a vague answer as to what's going on. Just like, well, this is the sketch we feel is appropriate now. So just okay, well, forget okay. about the other one, move on. Yeah, just forget <laughs> about it. <laughs> um, so during this new media blitz in 2019, investigators said they believed Bridge Guy may have been kind of hiding in plain sight and going around his usual business as if nothing had ever happened. They told the public that they believed he was familiar with Delphi and that he either lived there or at least was familiar with the area, maybe for work or, you know, for some other reason. They, I don't think they suspect that this guy travelled from somewhere without any pre you know, previous knowledge of the area. He was familiar with it. 
So we're not going to go into a lot of detail about a lot of the people of interest, persons of interest that have been in the case, but I thought it may be interesting just to do a quick summary because there have been some that seemed they could be likely suspects in this case, but maybe based on this new information, they aren't. On July 23, 2019, a man called Paul Etter was wanted for the kidnapping and rape of a 26-year-old woman in Tippecanoe County, which is in Indiana. Five days later, he was surrounded by police and he died by suicide after a standoff, so he was kind of one of the suspects. Another one which I feel like was probably one of the most publicized possible suspects was Daniel J. Nations. He was a registered sex offender from Indiana. He was arrested in Woodland Park, Colorado in September 2017, and he'd been charged with threatening strangers on a trail with a hatchet. He was driving a car with expired Indiana plates, and that was how he kind of got noticed by police, and they discovered that he had a warrant. And they also, it was reported that a bicyclist had been found shot on the same trail at the same time that Daniel was there. An El Paso County Sheriff spokesman told reporters that there were many similarities between the cases. He was not at liberty to disclose them, though. He said that Indiana investigators did not want any more information released. In early 2018, uh, authorities did say that Daniel Nations was no longer considered an active person of interest in the murders of the girls, which I think a lot of people never believed that. They always thought there may still be a possibility that he was involved. He looks kind of like this, this, the guy on the bridge too a little bit. That was the one that people were like most certain it was him. I, even with any of these, like, I don't know. I just, I don't know if it was because I was cynical or just bitter after all of mm-hmm. this. I, for any of these, I never got a vibe where I was like, that's definitely him. No. I but some people like, were certain. Yeah. I feel, I feel like Daniel Nation's, was like a half decent candidate you know based on the looks and you know the timing and his location and things like that but yeah he definitely wouldn't look at him and say oh wow that's definitely the guy on the bridge yeah um there was another guy called thomas bruce he was charged with fatally shooting one woman and sexually assaulting two others people basically i think he was considered a suspect because of his similarity to the guy on the bridge he was similar stature and then he had a flat cap and navy blue jacket as well we got a lot of people sent in who just had a navy blue jacket people are returning their navy blue jackets like in droves i bet yeah there was another guy called charles eldridge he was arrested on january 8 2019 on charges of child molestation and child solicitation police in randolph county alerted the fbi to a potential link between him and the murders on the account of his very strong resemblance to this sketch. However, this is before the new sketch was released. And then this year, April 27th, Indiana State Police named James Brian Chadwell II as a new person of interest in Libby and Abby's murders. He said that he had admitted he used his pet dogs to lure a nine-year-old girl into his apartment before he kidnapped kidnapped and molested her. And he also attempted to murder a nine-year-old girl. He does have this really kind of creepy tattoo, which is, I think a lot of people have insinuated that it's Libby. It looks like a girl and she's kind of crying. Um, like it's it's a creepy tattoo. It's very poorly done tattoo as well. But it, yeah. does, it does resemble Libby's, like a very um, public photo of Libby that everyone's seen. It does resemble that. Yeah, it has like the eyes are whited out and there's like black tears coming from the eyes. Um, yeah. It'll be on the blog, of, as always, for any of the stuff. You want to see the pictures, clips, everything. But with him, a lot of people... He was another one where, like, yeah, he kind of looked like bridge guy. And that did seem to line up. But for some reason, it never... It was another one where I was never like, that's him. Whereas with the newest guy, I have a better feeling. Not that I 
really know anything at all. I'm just going off a feel. <laughs> I feel like too, like the tattoo does look like Libby, like the side by side. But then I feel like if you put in, it could look like a lot of yeah. people. Like, it, like you, know. you could take a picture of me and tilt it the same way. Yeah. You could be like, that looks like you. And smile, like, you know, just so you can see your top. Like, you know, yeah. It's, it's, it's similar to Libby, but it could be really anyone. Yeah, but that him is another one that a lot of people kind of seem to hold on to because he is like a fucking creepy, terrible person. I guess has a history of hurting children as well. Yeah, because even today I posted on our Instagram story just like any questions people had about Delphi just to make sure we kind of covered everything. Because sometimes it's like I've said in the past, like it's hard for us as people who know so much about the case to remember what people who don't know a lot about it might be confused about but there was tons of questions about this guy specifically of being like well what do you think about this guy like is this guy still a person of interest and another thing that i wanted to say was like <laughs> person of interest literally means nothing in this case i've learned because yeah. the police are always like well yeah he's a person of interest we're interested and we're gonna look into it and see if it is so to them like literally anyone's a fucking person of interest yeah anyone yeah i, I feel like different police take it differently like you know a person of interest for example in the william tyrrell case they are people who are you know very strong usually suspects. Is, i feel yeah. yeah but in this case there just seem to be many many people who may be slight possibilities and are still considered people of interest i feel like the police just got sick of like the journalists and all of us all the time <laughs> being like so is he a person of interest and they're like well yeah we're interested in him we're gonna <laughs> see if there's any connection and we're gonna look into it and we're like all right so person of interest yeah they're some of the main ones. There's been a lot more, you know, if the, as we go on, you'll realise that they, these guys probably aren't related to the case, maybe based on this new information. So we just thought we'd mention some of the main ones. Yeah. So the investigation kept progressing and Libby and Abby's families kind of worked hard to keep the spotlight on their case. They've created the Abby and Libby Memorial Park, which was unveiled to the public in October 2021. The park has softball fields because I think Libby at least was really into softball. I don't know if Abby was, but Libby was really into softball, um, a playground, picnic tables. I think and they an both amp. played. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they did as well because I feel like I remember seeing the photo of Abby. A picture of them both, yeah. right? Yeah. So anyway, they were both really into softball. There's an, they also have an amphitheater there. The families spoke kind of at the unveiling about the uh, community support they've received in the past few years. Anna, who's Abby's mother, said, you can't just thank them enough. You can't thank anybody enough. And Becky, who's Libby's grandma, said, they're here. They're here forever, long after we've gone. This is their legacy. And they also spoke about kind of the status of the case at the time, which was just a few months ago. Anna said, we just pray that someday someone, someday the person does the right thing. And Mike, Patty said, we're coming. He's got to be lucky every day. We've just got to be lucky one day. So it sounds like at that time they didn't really, you know, Mike's one might be a little bit more leading towards that, you know, we just need one, one, one day, one clue. But it sounds like, you know, there wasn't a whole lot being made public at that time still. And that was just, you know, six weeks or a month, two months ago. Yeah, I don't think like anything's really happened. So that brings us to the latest. I mean, at this point, a lot of us, I honestly, before the latest news happened, I was getting to the point where I thought this case would probably never be solved or it'll be one of those ones 20 years from now, they'll be like, oh, like this guy who's dead, we connected his DNA to Delphi or something like the one like the cold cases that get solved now, you know? I feel like I have a little list of cases that I'll be so shocked if they're ever solved. And it was this one until recently. Maura Murray is another one. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there's just a few that you just think it's 
I just don't see it happening. But mate, hopefully we'll be wrong in the next few now, months. Now it seems a little more promising. Yeah. But yeah, it seems like this latest update like came out of nowhere. I, I woke up and Liv messaged me and was like, did you see this in Adelphi? And I was like, what the fuck is happening? So anyways, on December 6th, just a few days ago at this point, the Indiana State Police dropped a bit of a bombshell, as we were saying. They made a public video and appealed for information about an online username Anthony underscore shots. Police said the profile was used from 2016 to 2017 on social media sites, Snapchat and Instagram, among other platforms. My name is Sergeant Jeremy Pierce, the public information officer with the Indiana State Police out of Lafayette Post. While investigating the murders of Abigail Williams and Liberty German, detectives with the Carroll County Sheriff's Office and the Indiana State Police have uncovered an online profile named Anthony Schatz. This profile was being used from 2016 to 2017 on social media applications, including but not limited to Snapchat and Instagram. The fictitious Anthony Schatz profile used images of a known male model and portrayed himself as being extremely wealthy and owning numerous sports cars. The creator of the fictitious profile used this information while communicating with juvenile females to solicit nude images, obtain their address, and attempt to meet with them. Pictured on your screen, you'll see images of the known male model and the images of the fictitious profile sent to the underage females. We have already identified the male in these images that were used by Anthony Schatz. The male in the photo is not the person of interest in the investigation. Detectives are seeking information about the person who created the Anthony Schatz profile. Investigators would like any individual who communicated, met, or attempted to meet the Anthony Schatz profile to contact law enforcement by utilizing the tip email, Abby and Libby Tip at CACOSHRF.com. Please provide as much information as you possibly can. For example, when you communicated with Anthony Schatz, how you communicated with the profile, what social media applications the account used, and if Anthony Schatz attempted to meet you or obtain your address. If you have saved images or conversations with Anthony Schatz's profile, please attach them to your email. Again, if you have any information, please contact law enforcement by utilizing the tip email, Abby and Libby tip at CACOSHRF.com. Thank you. Um, the Anthony Schatz profile was fake and used images of a known male model. This profile's creator portrayed the model on his account to be extremely wealthy and showed him using numerous sports cars. Police tracked down the real owner of the photos, and they belong to a man named Vincent Kowalski. He has nothing to do with it. Like, his photos were just stolen, to be clear. He seems like a bit um, of an influencer. He's got 400,000 followers. Um, he is very good looking. He's got a family now and a wife and, or a partner and kids. And, you know, he seems like a nice guy. I would but, love to know what he has to say about it. It must be so, well, like... He did make a... I'll find it. You keep talking and I'll make a... Um, I'll find it. He did make... It wasn't really much, but he did make a statement. I wonder how many followers he had at the time this happened, too. Okay, so the media did speak to Vincent, whose photos were used. He said, someone sent me a screenshot of the YouTube video. I was like, there's no way that's real. I was completely blown away. He said that his images have been used for years by catfishers on Grinder, Kick, all of the dating websites... He's told Instagram many times, but they just tell him to block them. They never, ever get taken down. Um, 
he said that apparently no no one from the Indiana police ever Indiana State Police ever reached out to him. And he's worried now because his face is kind of out there all over everything. He goes, I spoke to my wife. I just hope nobody crazy tries to contact my family. It's scary. It's weird that police, I mean, I get why like police don't really need to talk to him or anything, but still just kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, it's sad that he's been trying bad. for years to get these all taken down to and they're just like, I'll oh, just block them. They're good. Yeah. Thing. I was going to say, I always feel bad for, it's kind of like, um, like a first world problem in a way of being like, oh, you're so good looking that everyone just wants to pretend to be you. But also it has to be so annoying. I know. Like, it would yeah. totally weird me out if some profile out there was using my photo to do shit like this, like meet children especially. Like people could think that's literally you. Like fair, no, not even fair enough. But if they were just using it to try and date adult women, but yeah, to try and be super creepy with children is not great. Not great at all. Once police kind of came out with that, a lot of us kind of just assumed immediately that they didn't know who was behind this um, account and that that's what us, the internet sleuths, were meant to do to figure out who's behind this account. But like looking back on it, it's like, of course they probably fucking knew who was behind the account. I feel like that's one of the easier things to figure out in the world as law enforcement. Especially with but, five years of research time behind you, Nelly. Like it's not like they're just waiting for, you know, subpoenas and things like that. They have had plenty of time to get this all, you know, tracked down. Yeah, and in the actual like press release thing that they put out, it did also say that the user of the account was known basically for soliciting child pornography or photos from like minors. So clearly they did know who it was, but we were all just like kind of were blind to that because we were all so shocked. <laughs> but then journalists, the media, they released documents about a man named Keegan Anthony Klein, which is who used the Anthony Schatz profile. Who is Anthony Schatz for real? Mm -hmm. Well, the Indiana man who admits to creating that Anthony Schatz social media profile is actually Keegan Anthony Klein. He's 27 years old. He's been held for over a year now in the Miami County Jail on child pornography charges. On February 25th, 2017, Indiana State Police, the FBI, and Peru Police served a search warrant at a house in Peru where Klein was living with his father. That's 11 days after the bodies of Abby Williams and Libby German were found about 37 miles away in Delphi. Investigators confiscated a half dozen phones and electronic devices. Klein admitted in court documents to using the Anthony Schatz profile to communicate with underage girls and ask for sexual images. Court records say they found hundreds of sexually explicit photos and videos on the devices, many from locations across Indiana, including Indianapolis, Kokomo, and Bunker Hill. But court documents also say that Klein factory reset one phone two days before police arrived and deleted the internet history and social media apps from another phone before turning it over to police two days after he was interviewed. So it turns out Keegan had been charged on August 29th, 2020 for 30 counts, including child exploitation, possession of child pornography, and obstruction of justice. Um, the charges stem from a search of his home in Peru, Indiana, on February 25th, 2017, which is just 11 days after the bodies of Libby and Abby were discovered. The FBI, Indiana State Police, and Peru Police Department took part in serving the search warrant, and the investigation was focused on Klein allegedly, allegedly soliciting underage girls. So it's weird for a few reasons. It's like directly after this happened, 
So did they get a tip on him, maybe? Were they suspicious of him then, maybe? Just kind of seems like a weird coincidence. Yeah, 11 days isn't long at all. Peru and Delphi are around 40 miles apart, which is about a 40-minute drive, according to Google Maps. Um, According to the probable cause affidavit out of Miami County, obtained by 13 News, this is what he was um, being charged for. It said, Klein created the Anthony Schatz account approximately six months prior to when investigators interviewed him in February of 2017. He allegedly said he created the account to contact both girls he knew and girls he did not know. Court documents show Keegan saying he would talk to girls even if they were under the age of 16 and that he found them on Instagram and then told them to message him on Snapchat. He allegedly claimed to have received pictures from all the girls he chatted with and saved them all. Investigators seized six devices from Keegan, including smartphones, a tablet, and iPod Touch, as part of the 2017 search warrant on the child pornography case. A Samsung Galaxy phone was recovered. It had been factory reset on February 23, 2017, which is nine days after the Libby and Abby murders. Uh, a factory reset essentially wipes all user data from a device. Investigators were able to get information on the device after it was reset, though. So on February 27, 2017, Klein contacted police claiming he had located his iPhone 5. Investigators said they found images of females posing nude, but investigators could not determine their ages. Investigators also found much of the data from Facebook, Instagram, Meet Me, Snapchat, and a Twitter had been deleted. A review of the phone found that hours after police released him, the day they searched his home, February 25th, he had uninstalled and deleted Snapchat and Instagram. The following day, Meet Me was uninstalled and deleted. The browser search history had also been deleted from the morning of February 27th before the phone was turned into authorities. They're covering all these tracks, it seems. Yeah, but not doing a good job. (laughs) Um, So interestingly enough, um, in our group, as we said, it was kind of a real-time group back then. On February 26, 2017, so this was right around the time that Keegan's stuff was being searched and deleted and removed, One of our group members, Mariah, um, wrote this post in the group. She wrote, okay, I'm weirded out. This is probably just a sign that I'm paying too much attention to this case, but I went to Liberty's Instagram yesterday and I noticed that a really strikingly attractive teenager had liked a couple of her posts. I back searched his profile photo and it was of an old photo of a male model, not a real person as he was claiming to be, but he claimed to have just moved to Lafayette. His profile was private and a typical fishing profile but he only had like 50 followers. Today, the likes from him are gone and either his name is changed or he's deleted his profile. I'm sure the FBI has already read all of their social network interactions, but I just really wish I'd saved his profile name or emailed it to the sheriff or something. So that's wild. That is wild that she picked that up right at the time when this was all happening and it turned out to be maybe exactly what happened. I feel like it has to be him. Surely. Because she doesn't, she didn't have that many followers to begin with. Yeah, exactly. Um, Uh, I know too, I've seen a few comments on other, like Reddit and other things that people say Mariah's post is fake and that we have altered it and, you know, photoshopped it, photoshopped the date, I think. But it's in our group. If you guys want to go and look, we can't photoshop what is on Facebook. February 20th, it's still an existing post. It's not even an image of the post. It's the original post. February 26th, 2017. We, like, didn't even go find the post ourselves. Someone else in the group commented on the post, and it bumped it back to the top. So it's not like we went looking for it to trick everyone or something, but (laughs) 
it is there. It is real. That's the real date. <laughs> yeah, that's just crazy. So it seems like at the time, some people had an idea about what was going on. So basically, from there, everyone was going crazy, trying to like look up everything they can about this guy. Because like I said before, he, in my opinion, seems like he could be bridge guy. A lot of people are saying, not a lot of people, but enough people where it's like a thing are saying like, no, he's too fat to be bridge guy. Because there's, there's his mugshots release, the key and Klein guy, and he is uh, very obese. Yeah. But you have to remember that this was years ago. Five years ago. So I'd say probably the easiest, laziest way to conceal your identity would be to gain weight. The one thing that you can actually change, I guess, relatively quickly. So if, that, you know, people think they're looking for a guy of a certain, you know, height and weight, if you eat more, eat less, it may be, you may be less likely to be considered for that. And eating more for most of us is easier <laughs> than eating less. Um, but also, it's not like I've always thought Bridge Guy was kind of chubby. Yeah. Like, he's not like, like, I never look at him and think he's like thin or fit or anything. It's not like Bridge Guy weighed 100 pounds and, you know, the, I don't know, Keegan probably weighs, I don't know, 300 pounds. I'm just guessing. But like, it's not like there's that much of a discrepancy. It would be a matter of eating badly for a month or two to, probably get to the you know different weights no, and people so like i was gonna say from here people just were scouring the internet for anything that we could find about him because his profiles keegan's a lot of them are still up his facebook's up and pretty public his twitter um yeah and the anthony shots fake accounts are generally still up as well like the instagram is mm -hmm. still up um someone found they're a private, kick, though. yeah they're private a kick account for him um, and it was interesting because he created his kick or yeah, he created his kick account on January 29, 2017, which was right before the murders, like two weeks before. And then we also, we know that Libby definitely had a kick account because she kind of posted that publicly with her username. Um, mm -hmm. So it just it's seems in her, like Instagram bio. It seems very interesting that there was a lot of crossover between all their social media. I know at that time, Kick was really popular. I never really used it, but I remember it was definitely a thing. Yeah. So, you know, there's lots of articles now online about Keegan and basically all his social media. He kind of portrayed himself to be a bit of a successful musician. He was in, apparently involved in like warp tours, went to Vegas all the time, had some like marijuana distribution business apparently. Like, he he did a lot of check-ins at different locations. Obviously, anyone can check in anywhere, so they're likely to not be true. Um, but there's been a lot of um, screenshots since being sent to us of Keegan kind of soliciting girls, you know, as young as 15 and 14 to send nude pictures. Um, you know, this is all obviously online. His social media, thankfully, is still up. There's a photo of him, I think, in Vegas, May 27, 2018, with some champagne bottles. Happy birthday to myself. Um, he seemed like he really tried to put on a front that he was very successful when he wasn't. Yeah. Like the um, warp Tours. He definitely was on warp Tour, but I think, and I'll read more about this in a second. I'm just looking for a screenshot. First, we found like some type of Wikipedia alternate that he definitely wrote himself talking about like how successful he is how he travels with taking back sunday mayday parade cute is what we aim for or all the like popular emo bands of back at the day that we all loved i know someone who actually worked with some of those bands 
there's um Keegan's Twitter is still up and apparently right after the murders he posted a lot. Like I'm just looking at the screenshot now. There's one, two, three, like there's six or seven posts in the days after, but unfortunately all the links are dead. On 15th of February, which is the day, you know, after the bodies were found, he made a post, and I'm assuming this is about Libby and Abby, and he wrote, what is going on in our world? So, so weird. Yeah, so creepy. So back to the warp tour. So like I said, it definitely seems like he did go on warp tour because he checks in at a lot of the places a lot, takes a lot of pictures of the sets and stuff. But I don't think it's to the capacity for real that he seemed to want people to believe. He's, it's not like he was like with the bands. Um, so my friend that knows some of the people in those bands, she texted me and said, that Keegan guy citing bands I've legitimately worked with and I've never seen him or heard of him before in my life. I just forwarded your story to a couple of the guys to see if they remembered him lurking around unless he was hired as a union worker to set up and tear down stages i could tell you he was not part of the cute is what we aim for crew i certainly don't remember him with mayday either and then she said jeff just texted me back the guitarist of cute said he never met him thinks he was just local union if anything but never an official member of any of the aforementioned bands camps so in his mugshot, he's actually wearing a union, like, local whatever t-shirt, which I'm sure they were thrilled for him to have in his mugshot. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so it seems like maybe he was a union worker and he his job was to help, like, set up and tear down the stages. But he wanted to make it seem like he's like, literally with the bands. Yeah. And he would write things like, can't wait to go on tour again and, like, post pictures of his money, post pictures of his watches, like, really wanted to give off the... I'm successful vibe, which I don't think he really was. There are a lot of, um, we won't go through everything, but there's a lot of screenshots that have emerged of Keegan and his gross creepiness. But someone, for example, wrote, I have a personal experience with Keegan Klein from my junior year of high school. I'm now a second year sophomore in college. He roped me into his life because I was a rebellious teen at the time. He said he'd be my sugar daddy and that sounded great until it wasn't. He'd have me send him photos and videos and try to make me meet up with him. And we he would beg me to let his friends gang bang me. Luckily, he never knew where I lived and that didn't happen. But seeing it now, it's beyond scary. Um, and there was another one that, you know, he said he reached out to me on social media. We talked on Facebook, Instagram and Snapchat on his actual accounts. He didn't use a catfish account to talk to this person. It was dumb of me, um, you know, the school... It, I didn't I didn't think anything of it until it started getting bad and that's when the school called CPS and they came to the house and talked to my mum. So, you know, this, there's a lot of red, red flags, flags years and years. The girl who at the time said she was 15 or 16, you know, and the, they also said he'd bang me, bang, bang. <laughs> she said he'd beg me to hang out with him and his friends and let them do all sorts of things and ask them if I had any other friends, so I'm guessing, you know, to participate in the same things. And when I declined, the amount of anger he had was unreal. I would get threats. Um, I'm glad he got caught for what he did. So it seems like this was an ongoing thing for years and years. Yeah. Gross. So just to be clear, even though it seems likely that or possible that Keegan may be, you know, the Anthony shots they're looking for in this case, the Indiana State Police have said they do not confirm or deny anyone who is or is not a suspect in any ongoing investigation. At this time, we are looking for information about the Anthony Shots profile and anyone who have, may have had contact with that profile. 
The case you are referring to is a separate child pornography case, which obviously that's from, you know, answer to the media asking, is this connected? Um, Keegan Klein's court-appointed public defender, Andrew Aiki, I think it is, spoke to Fede News and he said, my client had nothing to do with the unexpected, untimely and unfortunate passing of the girls in Delphi. So it is, you know, important to note, I guess, at this time that there is no confirmation that Keegan is related to the Delphi case. Yeah, I think they're being very careful not to insinuate that. Like, the police have never even mentioned him, never said his name, anything like that. They just talked about the profile and the rest the media discovered. I mean, there could be a lot of reasons as to that. You don't want to turn into, like, a witch hunt. And eventually, it's like, if this does go to trial, get, like, a mistrial because of shit like this. But anyways, this has kind of caused a lot of confusion among people and we've gotten a lot of messages being like wait so how do they know this guy is connected or like why if they know who the guy is what are they asking for why do they need other people to come forward and i think that for one i'm assuming they probably know much more than they're letting on yeah and i think they have this entire investigation like we've said they've always been very meticulous about what information they've released and what they've kept private i'm sure they know tons more than we think they do I feel like there definitely has to be some sort of a connection if they're specifically asking for it in regard to this case and they're using the Abby and Libby tip line to get the information on the Anthony Schatz profile. Plus, the Anthony Schatz profile did like Libby's photos. Like, we found photos that he had liked on her Instagram. Yeah, proof that they were somehow connected. We don't know to obviously what extent, but they were connected on social media, definitely, without a doubt. So one thing kind of to support the fact that they may have known about this for a long time is people have been questioning on a line like, you know, why? Why is it coming out now? Why have they waited? And Kelsey, who's Libby's sister, has said, I'll read it out, her quote. It says, clarifying because I already see people twisting my words to mean a million different things. If law enforcement is releasing this now, it means it's not their first time seeing it. They aren't going to release something without looking at it thoroughly. I guess take them knowing for a while as you will. I don't know when they found this information or their reasoning behind releasing it, but I am hopeful they wouldn't release something like this without good reason and tireless investigative work. So, and then she also said they wanted to investigate it 100% before making it public. It's risky putting a name out there. So I also think too, they haven't put his name out there. They've put the online user profile and kind of, I guess they knew that everyone would be able to track it down and tie it to Keegan. Yeah, I feel like obviously they're not worried about who the profile is because they clearly know that. To me, it seems like they're trying to build a stronger case against him because I feel like they must have reason at this point to believe that he is the one who most likely killed the girls or seems likely that he could have and that's what they're looking into. There's always been kind of speculation as to if they have the killer's DNA from the crime scene. They've never specifically said if they do or don't. They always give a vague answer. Like, the report will be like, so do you have the killer's DNA or do you have DNA evidence? And they'll say, like, well, we have DNA. We have a lot of DNA. And they've said, like... They did, never really said whose DNA it was or what, what the yeah, DNA Yeah, there was one interview with um, Holman, Detective Holman, and he said that they have a lot of DNA and a lot of time is being spent because... Again, like I said, there's so many people at the crime scene. The girls had a sleepover that night. Like, there's tons of DNA that they have to filter out. So that's what he said. Part of what they're doing is trying to figure out whose DNA belongs to who and whose doesn't belong. So it's always kind of been assumed that they might not have the killer's DNA. 
One kind of interesting piece which maybe ties into the DNA is that apparently a few weeks ago the police went to Keegan's home and took his dog. Um, obviously we don't know the reason why, but there is some speculation now that maybe some of the DNA or, you know, something at the scene was dog-related, dog hair, some type of dog DNA. So maybe that could explain, you know, if they do have some DNA evidence, but it may not be human. Yeah, like maybe he had dog fur on his coat and then it got left on one of the girls or something. So, Um, you know, there's a lot of online rumors. We don't obviously know if that is correct, but that is, you know, one one possibility i guess yeah and they would have keegan's dna at this point because he was arrested for a felony so i'm guessing if they thought it was him and they had dna they would they had dna from the scene of the killer they would know right off the bat if it is or isn't him so my thinking is they either don't have dna at the scene of the killer or Maybe they found, like, Keegan's DNA further away or, like, at the bridge or not immediately where the girls were. That really wouldn't prove anything to a jury besides that Keegan had been to the bridge. Yeah. Like, that doesn't mean he killed them. Lots of people go to the bridge. Like, think of all the places you go to every day that you potentially leave DNA behind. Obviously, that wouldn't prove anything beyond a reasonable doubt. But say that they get stories from more girls that he solicited photos from underage tried to meet up with maybe he even tried to meet up with them at parks or at like wooded areas or at places similar to the high bridge or maybe even at the high bridge that on top of his dna being there on top of his charges for child pornography and stuff like that and then if they do have proof of him speaking with the girls i feel like all of that would build a much stronger case for them I do find it interesting to, that if the dog information is true and they only took the dog in the last few weeks, that leads me to believe that they didn't entirely know this whole time maybe about Keegan because you take a chance by waiting five years to go and test dog fur. You know, dogs don't live that long. So it's interesting that yeah. this all seems to have happened in the last few weeks or months. But, yeah, it's also interesting that his charges – were from 2017 but he wasn't arrested till 2020 that also makes me wonder like did they have an idea to be suspicious of him were they keeping an eye on him did they like let him out into the world and not arrest him in 2017 for the child pornography because they wanted to see if he'd maybe like fuck up and give himself away i don't know but i do i think that he looks the especially the pictures of him from closer to 2017 i think he does look like the more relevant youthful sketch we did a poll and I think the end up was around 86% of people thought that he looked like the youthful sketch. Um, yeah. I think there's enough similarities that I wouldn't be surprised if it's him. You know, sometimes you see these sketches of, you know, like a Jane Doe or a John Doe and you actually find out who it is. You're like, my gosh, there's nothing like what I thought. But I feel like they do. That He looks, his nose is very similar to the sketch. You know, there's enough similarities yeah, that it could be him. It was apparently made by people in passing and so think about like if you see someone passing and then you have to like recall these details about them you're going to remember most likely like oh his eyes are close together which his are and so are the sketches like his mouth is small obviously people get stuck on the fact that like his face is more chubby and this guy kind of has a more defined jawline i feel like that's you know like human error and also too in the the guy on the bridge he's looking down the whole time he never looks up fully so you know i feel like that kind of changes your profile or what people see and he's wearing a hat and a hood like 
yeah, he's all bundled up. Or whatever up. he has on his head. Yeah. So it's all like I feel like there is no way you could say they're definitely not the same person. Yeah. I have it's a good feeling similar. about it. I don't think they I don't think they would ask. No. You know? I feel like this has to be the strongest lead they've ever had, surely. And just with them releasing no other information ever, no matter like what the public pressure was, <laughs> I feel like they wouldn't have a pretty strong lead. I, they wouldn't release this without having like a pretty strong lead. Because the last thing they want, I'm sure, is to incite the fucking public again, because we've annoyed them enough all this time. Yeah. No, I agree. But yeah, I think that seems promising. I kind of think that's all that there is for now, right? It's the 9th of December now that we're recording. So this has been three days since the Keegan information has been released. There's nothing really new since the main kind of information dump. There's um, yeah, there's one article which is a bit of a clickbait headline. It says, Indiana detectives reveal fake male model Instagram account set up by a jailed pedophile <laughs> was used to catfish the two 14-year-old Delphi, Delphi girls murdered in 2017. So... You know, people are making the connection, even if Indiana State Police have said that they, they will not make the connection yet. Um, people are still running with that. Yeah, they're not they're not trying to get sued, the police. No. But <laughs> no. I do think it seems promising. Hopefully I feel like it's gonna go quiet again for a bit while they get together the rest of this information they're looking for. Hopefully they get um like the leads and hopefully Somehow, some victims still have screenshots from way back then. Some do because some have been post, you know, like Facebook Messenger never really deletes your chats unless you do it. But if you don't delete them, you could go back pretty far. So, and also, I guess, too, his accounts are still up. So maybe if he used, for example, his Instagram account, they can get in there and read, hopefully, they can read the messages and, you know, mm-hmm. well, they were saying that it seemed like he deleted a lot too. Yeah. Surely there has but to be some way they can yeah, recover them. Facebook or Instagram has to have yeah. it. They just might need a yeah. warrant or subpoena. whatever. Or subpoena. Yeah. yeah, I think that's but, it for up-to-date, totally up-to-date for the Libyan Abbey case as of 9th of December. Yeah, and like we said, obviously this case is massive. There's tons and tons of things you could talk about. So we know we didn't even really cover a third of all of it. We I just feel like we covered the main bits now that we know are likely to be relevant a lot of the other stuff was just noise and confusion and probably will not be relevant based on these new developments yeah like it was it was a very hectic time but this is i think the main facts the main story and hopefully because of this you can kind of understand the new information coming out a bit better if you'd forgotten over time or if you're new to the case like i said if you want to get like a really in-depth look at it listen to the um down the hill podcast or join our facebook group on the case and go back to when closer to this actually happened there's a lot of interesting stuff and make sure you check the true crime society blog i'll put all the show notes up there so the whole entire timeline will be up there all the footage that they've released the audio they've released it'll all be up there so you can go and have a look yourself if you're not familiar with the case to date follow us on instagram we always post updates there we always try to chat with people there Um, share on your Instagram if you want that you're listening to the podcast because it helps us grow a bit more. So maybe some of your followers are true crime fans. Maybe they'll come listen to us. And then like I joke around, maybe one day this could be our full-time job and we can be (laughs) even better at this and put out even better content all the time. 
Dream baby. That would be the dream. <laughs> so when you share our podcast with your friends or post it on Instagram, you're just supporting our dreams. And make sure you subscribe as well. Subscribe and automatically download all our episodes. That would be amazing. <laughs> yeah. Even on, on your parents' like Apple <laughs> podcast thing, just subscribe. Even if they don't listen to it, just go subscribe, subscribe. on your iPod. Find your old iPod from 2004 and subscribe on that. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've got one more episode left now for the year after this. So we're probably going to do a big update episode. There's been a big update in the Josh Duggar case today. Oh, yeah. Um, he was found guilty. Woo! So we'll talk about all the updates for um, our episodes in the next in the yeah. next episode. Yeah, that's why we've been kind of saving them for a bit because we want to do a yearly roundup type episode for the end of yep. the year. So I'll be the next one. Oh no, my computer's gonna die. Ah, there's a little Stop. bit left. All right, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go eat some cheesecake. No, it's fine. <laughs> It'll save. Okay. No, I still have seven percent battery. All right. Well, my computer battery's dying. Dying. So we're gonna rush the ending. Mm-hmm. Um, follow us on Instagram, send us a nice review on Apple podcasts and share to your Instagram story, follow us everywhere, check out the blog and the forum too. That's a great spot. Um, but before this, my computer dies, <laughs> love you guys. XOXO. We'll talk to you next time. <laughs> See you soon. Bye.